female lawyers are lacking in self-care and they're lacking in setting boundaries and they are not saying no and they're also not asking for what they want in life. Female attorneys are incredible advocates for others, but to be the best for others, you have to be the best for yourself. I want to help these women do that. I want them to learn how to put themselves first. In 2021, women made up over half of all summer associates for the fourth year in a row. Yet equity partners and multi-tier law firms continue to be disproportionately white men. Only 22% of equity partners are women. We would like to see that change. Hello, and welcome to Law Her, the show where we celebrate the trailblazing attorneys and entrepreneurs who are changing the game for women in the legal field. Be inspired by their stories, learn from their mistakes, build community, and look forward to the future they're helping build for the next generation of women in law. I am Sonia Palmer, your host and VP of Operations at Rankings, the digital agency of choice for personal injury lawyers. This is Lawher. Susie Hickson is the founder of Hickson Law and Legally Blissed. She created this mentor-based platform to help female attorneys become better advocates for themselves and their clients. Tempering ambition with deep self-care, Susie explains how to recognize external conditioning, set boundaries, get off the back burner and into the fire. Let's dive in. I did not always want to become a lawyer. I thought for a long time I would go into something science related. I was a biology major in college. I've always been kind of a science nerd at heart. When I was in law school, I definitely had second thoughts. <laughs> um, because I went to law school thinking I would just kind of extend this whole college thing for another three years, but it was not like that. I excel in college. I loved college. Um, I did well in my major, you know, I had great friends. It was a great experience. And, you know, with my biology major, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do because I realized I didn't necessarily want to you know, practice medicine. So I went to law school, like I said, thinking that I would extend the, um, the college gig and it was very different. So when I was in there, I was, I felt very like I was kind of in a storm, right? Like I was kind of being tossed from one thing to another. I didn't really have a lot of direction. I didn't love the material. So it was, it was definitely a confusing time for me at law school was. Did you have like mentors or a support group that kind of helped like pull you through that? Unfortunately, not really. Um, and that is honestly like a huge reason I kind of have the mission that I have right now with Legally Blissed is to help people who feel like they do need mentors at any stage of their legal career. Um, but I really, unfortunately, didn't. I was the first person in my family that went to law school. There was no one else that really had had that experience. So I didn't really feel like I had a lot of people to, you know, experience that, that struggle with. And I also didn't have really a, that tight knit group of friends like I had in college. Yeah. So I think that that was another thing that might've been not so ideal about it because I know that having that would have been nice. It just wasn't for whatever reason, my law school experience, um, and having kind of that, ne- like a network didn't really play out. And you have two irons in the fire, and I do want to talk about Legally Blissed. But before that, I wanted to talk about your role as a trademark attorney. Yeah. So in law school, become a lawyer. What drew you to trademark law? (laughs) I ended up talking with someone in law school, and they're like, oh, you should take the patent bar. 
and, and I promise this kind of this kind of closed the loop here, but you know, he was like, "You should take the bat- patent bar because you have a science background." And I was like, "Oh, this is like an area of the law that I could actually integrate in some way my science background. That could be really cool." So I took and passed the patent bar um, before I graduated from law school. Apparently, I was really excited about this opportunity, and fortunately, was able to secure a position right out of law school um, as a patent agent working with a law firm. And then after I passed the Kentucky bar, I became a patent lawyer. When I was initially practicing law, like I felt very excited that I was doing the patent work. But the problem was it wasn't really that the subject matter with, with the patent work didn't really align with my science background. I was doing work more in the area of like mechanical engineering. <laughs> You know, there were definitely parts that were interesting, but it was very challenging for me because I was not a mechanical engineer. And I ended up thinking about, okay, well, what other area of IP could I evolve into? And I got a taste of trademark law. And I was like, okay, this is really cool. Like it really resonated with me. I got to ultimately manage a trademark portfolio of a fairly large company, actually a few large companies when I was living in Louisville. So I think that's really important for people to be patient with that when they get out of law school and not necessarily expect that they're going to be in an area of the law that is a perfect fit for them because maybe it just means that there's another practice area that's going to be a better fit for you. That's so true. And even a lot of the lawyers that I've talked to, that's common, where they sort of start out as a public defender and then they move into personal injury or they start as a personal injury lawyer and they don't like that and they end up working for, you know, immigration law. So I think that's very common. And I think it's good, you know, don't give up if you find that that practice area isn't necessarily fitting you. That doesn't mean that law doesn't. So. Right. Exactly. Don't give up. Keep <laughs> keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so then what was it like transitioning to owning your own practice? So it was exciting. I've, um, I feel like I've kind of always had an entrepreneurial spirit. So I was kind of deep in law firm associate practice when the recession hit in 2008 time period. And I saw a lot of attorneys being let go. And that was really terrifying to me as a being an associate, because number one, I was wondering when I was going to be next. The second thing is I really realized, you know, there's not a whole lot of (laughs) loyalty in these firms, right? I just thought, you know what, I want to build my own thing at some point. I want my income to not be so dependent on someone else. You're kind of creating something from nothing. And I thought that there was a lot of beauty in that. Around 2010, Susie was approached for a partnership, but with no dependence and the desire to find her own way, she decided to leave her cushy six-figure job at a larger firm to start her own practice and define success on her own terms. I started my own practice in about 2010 and I was kind of living in Kentucky and California at the same time, going back and forth a lot. And because I was doing trademark work and really building, working on building my portfolio, I was able to take clients from everywhere. So young law students, if you are interested in working with people internationally, like trademark work is a really great area of the law. And I love to joke now that I have more clients from Ukraine than I do from Kentucky. It was cool and that I, that I was able to do that. But, you know, trademark law was 
an area of the law that allowed me to, to, to really work on building a practice without being so location-based. And that was really awesome way back in 2010. I think people at that point also, they didn't really understand that I could run a docket, that there were you know, platforms out there that were coming along. Like I was one of the first adopters of Clio. I was able to use the internet to do my own research. I just didn't need a lot of the trappings that a lot of people think are required for a law firm. I really was envisioning a totally different type of practice for me. Good for you. So considered medical, considered doctor, decided to do lawyer instead, um, become a trademark lawyer, and then open your own business. I'm hearing a lot of ambition, a lot of care for your work. <laughs> how do you integrate that with life? Um, you know, how do you sort of balance that, take care of yourself? Yeah, it's been very cyclical. I mean, I've gone through periods where I think my mental health has suffered because of my career. I look at that more probably when I was in a law firm, I wasn't prioritizing myself at all. Over the years, and I think that this is this is something that I don't know if it comes with experience or just more of like being self-aware and which develops, I think, more as you get older. I really started realizing I had to <clears throat> set boundaries with clients. But when I started doing it, I didn't like put a name on it. <laughs> I didn't call it like setting boundaries. Like now it's like the thing, you know, you set boundaries. It's a good point. Mm-hmm. Right. So I started kind of integrating boundary setting. And when I did that, it was very difficult. But at the end of the day, I think I garnered more respect from people and especially people that were my ideal clients. And that, you know, it ended up working out in a positive, um, you know, respect. But like with that said, even as a small firm owner, I've gone through periods where I've been like, I want to work really hard. And yeah, <laughs> I'm feeling super ambitious in this year. And, you know, I've gone through periods where I think I need some rest. Right. And when I've gone through those periods of feeling like I need rest, of course, I had those thoughts of I'm a slacker. Guilt. <laughs> I'm a loser. <laughs> What's wrong with me? I, why am I not more motivated? But I don't think it's unusual for us to not be driven 100% of the time. And absolutely. Yes. Amen. <laughs> we have to recognize that and be okay with it and, and, and realize, you know, a lot of times the drive that we have, part of it's internal, but a part of it could be a lot of external conditioning, I think. And it's okay to take rest, right? It's okay to set boundaries. It's okay to especially if you have your own law practice, it's okay not to be beholden to checking your email over the weekends. <laughs> that's like a, that's one of those things, like a, a boundary that I'm pretty big on. I cheat every now and then. And do you take a peek? <laughs> like, what is it? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on in here? <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's different. It is very different. It's easy for me to say that as someone who owns her own practice versus someone who is in the trenches of working in a, in a law firm. A lot of it comes down to kind of what stage of your career you're in. Cyclical, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I know I talk to intake specialists. Yeah. And of course, they're like, oh, I'm available 24 like, seven. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's fix that. You're absolutely right, especially um, 
setting boundaries, rest in general. I think people think, oh, rest is necessary. It is necessary, but rest also makes us better. Yes. I can't tell you how many times where I'm like, okay, I don't typically feel burnt out or or tired. I start making mistakes. Like that's how I know mm, it's time. And I'll take a long weekend, couple days off, and I'll I'll rest, whatever that looks like. Going for a hike, binge watching television, and I'll find that you know about halfway through that rest, yeah, I start getting ideas. You know, like my my brain starts working, and I'm like, I think I'm rested. I'm going to go back to work, and it has made me better. I would not have gotten there if I had not stopped. You know, that's so true. So I think a lot of people have like a bad connotation. Oh, people are burnt out. They're stressed out. Um, but it, it doesn't just rejuvenate you. One of the best things in terms of just like stimulating creativity can be taking a hike and being out in nature, right? Not sitting, <laughs> not sitting in front of your computer and like watching your Twitter feed go by and thinking, oh, the creativity is going to come. Oh, yes. Yeah. Go for a hike. I I can't remember where I heard this, but a lawyer that I was speaking with was telling us about how there are retreats, like seven-day retreats for sleeping, that the whole idea is basically just to sleep as much as you possibly can. The whole thing is designed around that. And I was like, that is a great idea. (laughs) That actually sounds really fascinating. And it sounds awesome as a facilitator, right? Like, Right? Yes. All of my clients are sleeping. (laughs) Nothing to do. Yeah, it's done. It's it's a good business idea, truthfully. (laughs) I know, I know. My my wheels are already spinning, right? I know, I know. (laughs) So in addition to trademarks and all of the other things that you do, you also hold a certification from the Life Coach School. Correct. What does that certification entail and how does it inform the work that you do in Legally Blessed? Okay, so that's a that's a fun question. In 2020, I decided this was going to be my rest year, right? I, <laughs> I was going hard. In- <laughs> we all did. Right? We all did. I think we all did. That decision was made for us. <laughs> you know what? I think that's actually a really good point. Did I really make the decision or was it made for me? You know, you have to kind of make lemonade out of lemons, right? I'm just going to take some time to reflect on my practice and myself and you know, kind of figure out this next stage of my career. I think I was kind of getting sucked into that, like, this is what I should be doing as a solo practitioner. I really should be hiring someone and I should be moving up. I should be doing all the things, quote unquote. And the life coach school, one thing it really taught me was to quit shooting all over myself, right? And really start questioning, why should I do that? Is this really what I want to do? Because our thoughts create our reality. And we're not the victim of our circumstances. And at the end of the day, how we interpret circumstances in our lives really have a huge impact on our results. And so I was like, you know what? I want to go deeper into this work. And I decided to do the certification program through the Life Coach School. And just for interest of transparency, there is really no like official certification program for life coaching right? Anyone could go out and say, Hey, I'm a life coach. So the certification itself is just through that particular life coach school. So I did that, I guess it was like the fall of 2020. And it was challenging for me because I had to really learn how to help my clients find the answers within themselves, like via their own thoughts and asking questions about, you know, why they are thinking a certain way, right? And helping them kind of explore how those thoughts actually impact their lives. And 
it was very different than being a lawyer because as a lawyer, like I have the answer, right? I have, I will, if I don't have the answer for you, I will find the answer. Okay. I am taking off my lawyer hat. I'm putting on a very different hat here as a coach because I'm not, I'm not an advisor in this situation, right? Like this is, you know, when you're coaching, you're helping people find the answers within. And coaching really is great for people who are ready to level up where they are already. And how that ties in Illegally Blissed is I decided to form a community that helps facilitate mentors and coaches and female lawyers. I want to seek out the answer. I want to help someone find that solution, you know, sooner rather than later. I'm very much a consultant, much more than I am a coach. There's a like framework around this where you have some people who are connectors, you know, and instead of being a coach or someone who needs a coach, they are excellent at connecting those people or facilitating those things. And you mentioned earlier about how, you know, like self-awareness comes with experience. And it, it's, I think it's extremely valuable to know not only what you're good at, but then what you're not good at <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and to build those people around you, right? Um, still connect people that way. So that makes, that makes complete sense. And yeah, the self-awareness I think is very, very, very valuable for you, but then also the people that use your service. So Legally Blessed is an exclusive mentor-led platform transforming female attorneys into self-advocates. What is meant by self-advocacy? So one thing I learned through my podcast, um, Legally Bliss Conversations, is that women, female attorneys are amazing advocates for other people. They put themselves in the back burner. And with respect to self-advocacy, it is putting yourself first. And it's filling your cup before you fill someone else's. And I am a firm believer that in order to be a great advocate for others truly, you have to take care of yourself. I think that female lawyers are lacking in self-care and they're lacking in setting boundaries and they are not saying no. And they're also not asking for what they want in life. And I want to help these women do that. I want them to learn how to put themselves first. It's almost like like the opposite of a vicious cycle. It's like a positive feedback or... Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like a flywheel, right? Where you start kind of implementing these positive parts of self-care and you just keep kind of wanting more and more. I think another part of that that's really important, like I said, is the, the saying no. People have a really hard time doing that. And once they start integrating it, <laughs> they're like, dang, this is awesome. You know, they, they're like... It's almost like empowering and then they're able to do it again. And they get to the point where they can say no without explanation, which is huge. And that's something that I've noticed myself doing just, you know, relentlessly over the years is if I felt like I had to say no, I had to do like a three paragraph explanation of why my no. And I'm like, where is that coming from? Like, why do I have to explain myself away when I have to say no to something, you know? And I think that can be really empowering for women. Because I don't want to do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I completely agree. And I think it goes back to sort of what we were talking about earlier, where there's a lot of guilt, you know, like if yeah. for, for women where, you know, they're not 100% at their job, if they're 100% with their family. 
And if they're 100% taking care of themselves, then they're, they're letting somebody else down somewhere, right? And there's a lot of guilt around that. And what I think it is about experience, the first time that you say no, and you do sort of walk away from this thing and you you advocate for yourself and you realize that it's not about, oh, I'm, I just want to be lazy for a day. Yeah. But that's compound effects. Like if I take the weekend, I spend time with my family, I clean, I organize, but then I do what I want. You know, I go to the movies. I am a better employee on Monday right? Like I show up at work. I am better. I show up for my team in a way that I wouldn't have if I had been, you know, working a couple hours here or doing this or doing that. So it's almost a disservice to the people that you're trying not to disappoint, but not taking care of yourself. That's a perfect way to put it. And and I would caution anyone who is working, you know, thinking about working with a company or a firm that doesn't allow some elements of self-prioritization, right? Like if demanding emails after six or seven in the evening or on weekends, that is kind of terrifying because they clearly don't like respect your boundaries. And also they don't appreciate the importance of self-care and kind of like what we were talking about that better work and creativity are born from having downtime, We've talked a little bit about, um, we've talked about self-care and you talked earlier about how you were kind of creating a new firm. I loved what you said about you wanted to build something and that you weren't, you didn't need the leather bound agendas and the mahogany desks. Yeah. Right? Right. So a lot of women are beginning their own firms and they're trying to create a schedule, like you said, that fits their lives. How do you help women achieve that goal? Yeah. So a lot of this comes down to mindset and action. So I think with respect to mindset, we have to be really careful about that productivity trap where we're feeling like we always have to be productive and ask ourselves if maybe that drive towards productivity actually hinders our results, like what we're actually doing. I think that it's important to, when you're looking at your calendar for the next week, for example, that you prioritize you, you put your personal time in first, and then you work everything else around that. (laughs) And I know people are like, well, I have four kids, so I can't do that. (laughs) But, you know, if you have four children, then, you know, your personal time might be less than someone who doesn't have children, but it's still just as important, right? So you, and you might not be able to integrate as much personal time, but it's still vital that you put it into your calendar and you work everything else around that. And then you prioritize what's most important to you. And sometimes you have to look at what your values are. And I think that a lot of people don't really sit down and figure out what their values are. Um, our values change and evolve over time as we, as we age, as we have different life events happen. So that's why it's good to reevaluate your values, you know, fairly regularly, I think. Susie offers ways of rethinking life and practice. She cautions new and established attorneys against simply churning out stellar work for a firm. She says that networking is just as critical as doing the work itself. When they start practicing law, I think this is where I think I made a mistake. And I see this a lot. 
we tend, female lawyers tend to go into their office and work on A plus product. (laughs) And oftentimes it's at the expense of, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of the way to put it, right? Yeah. At the expense of networking. But I noticed that male lawyers really have no problem with this, right? They're they're okay with like B plus work and they seem to excel still and they make time for that. Networking is is crucial, even as a young lawyer, and letting, you know, making sure that the firm, not just partners, but you know, the staff and associates all know who you are. And I think that people need to be really careful about that. So that would be really one of my biggest kind of pieces of advice is for young lawyers to really think about how they're spending their time because they can put a lot more work into results that are maybe just a little bit better. But at the end of the day, they may be better off having a, you know, just a work product and spending any extra time they have into networking and socializing with their firm. I think that's very, very good advice. And we just had a a guest, uh, Jessica Givens, who talks about this because social media is very much at the forefront, this like digital networking. And I do think that some female lawyers, um, ambitious that want to start their own firms, they want to build something, they do somewhat neglect local networking, you know, at their current firms or just looking for like, you know, local invitations to speak, or there are tons of things within a community and those can really propel a career. Yes. I actually had someone on my podcast named Christine Mattis. When she started her own practice, she knocked on doors in her town. Like, (laughs) and you know, it was like, this is what I'm, I'm, you know, starting my own practice. And, and I was like, you know, I think that sometimes we forget the, the beauty of local networking. We don't have to dance on TikTok. There are lots of amazing ways that you can grow your, 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 you know, your client base. And at the end of the day, like one thing I have learned as a solo is that my best clients have always come from referrals. Your best clients come from those great clients that you already have who refer you. And that comes down to providing those clients with just a great customer or client experience, calling them, at a random time, just wanting to see how they're doing, right? How how are things going? Maybe um, making sure that you put some type of special, t- like if you send them their first invoice, follow up with them like a week later and just be like, hey, do you have any questions about this invoice? I know that sometimes th- this breakdown can get confusing. The first time I look at invoices, sometimes they throw me off. Like things like that, like little touch points with your clients can be so key. And, you know, do that. I, I always say this. This is kind of a, a, one of the things I actually recently talked about was that, you know, they talk about the 80-20 rule. Like, I'm all about if you have extra time, 80% of your time should be should go to loving on your current clients. I think you're onto something, though, particularly for, I understand it, but for women who have just started their own firms, the referral aspect is huge. Now, you're growth-minded. Okay. And you want to grow a firm. You don't want to remain solo. You want to grow. Then you have to think about lead generation. And now you're outside of referrals. So once you're big enough from your referrals, right? Right. And you want to grow, 
now it's time to invest in a social media strategy and digital marketing, SEO, because you need lead generation. But I do think there's sometimes they're thinking about social before they've established like a referral system for their company or firm. It's fascinating to me, Sonia, that there's so many more things that need to be done before that you even think about doing your TikTok dance, right? Like, <laughs> No, you're, yes. We've had a couple of TikTokers on the podcast. I don't think they dance though. And it's interesting because they have a, a very unique thing. They're, we've had Rep Maisel on who reads the court depositions and they're hilarious. And she's, it's an amazing thing that she's got going on. And it's sort of like, it's helped her develop the brand. It is out of order, but I don't think that's the norm. Right, right. It's not the norm. And she took something like really unique rather than kind of absorbing what everyone else is doing on TikTok and try to make it her own. Um, So I think that that's something like that's really special and can really stand out. So yeah, so it can be done if you have like a very original idea. And there's definitely a place for it once you get to a certain milestone. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um. What are some bright points that you are optimistic about? I'm optimistic about legal tech. I think that there's a lot of really cool things that people can do with legal tech to make their practices easier. And even 10 years ago, I was so excited that I was able to have a law practice that was basically internet-based. And I'm excited to see where, you know, the future of kind of that integration of legal tech in our younger generation of lawyers. I am constantly and continuously impressed by what I'm seeing with younger attorneys, um, men and women, because I'm, one thing I'm noticing is that they really do grasp and appreciate their own definitions of success at a younger age. And they are, defenders of their own personal time, right? Like this is my personal space. I think that's really huge because when I was a young lawyer, you know, back in the early 2000s, you know, you were a lawyer billing 22 to 2,500 hours a year. And that's just what you did. And there wasn't as much like questioning of that status quo. And I see that younger attorneys are questioning that. And so I'm really optimistic about where the legal field is going. You know, when I think about young, younger attorneys, I'm like, you know what? I think the, the practice of law, it's slow to evolve, but overall, I think it's going in the right direction. And I would never discourage my niece from considering <clears throat> practicing law now because I would be able to tell her, if you go to law school, you can make your career whatever you want it to be. And 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I remember joking with, another associate about us opening our own law practice of female owners. We're like, how hilarious would that be? Right. And now it's like, Oh hell yeah. Like that's what women do. You know? Absolutely. I love what you said. I think it really, really, really accurately defines the difference between sort of millennial generation and then Gen Z about them subscribing to their own definition of success. Yeah. I I think that's that's a very it's an excellent way to sort of describe Gen Z right now. Yes. Not even just in legal but in general, they are defining their own idea of success. I think that's a beautiful thing and I I hope that that is something that stays here forever. I read that you are a big skier. 
what is your favorite mountain? Oh, okay. So my favorite place to go ski would probably be Telluride. We also love Mount Crested Butte. So it's been a great place that we've gone also in the summer. And we've hiked Mount Crested Butte. So just for like skiing, we probably love Telluride. Well, I don't know. Telluride or Mount Crested Butte. I, I, I go back and forth. I am nodding along with you. I know nothing about skiing. <laughs> it depends on my mood. But the thing I kind of love about Crested Butte is that I have climbed that mountain in the summer. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool to see like places that you ski in the summer. And it's just... Oh, that's very cool. I get it. Yeah. Do you ski? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been. (laughs) I know. I was like nodding like, yeah, I know exactly. No. (laughs) No, no. I would like to try. So maybe I'll put that on my bucket list for this winter. You should 100% put it on your bucket list, right? Even if you just get out there and try. I mean, that's how I did it the first time. I was like, let me just go here and see what happens. So, um, and you'll fall. So let me tell you, I will tell you also, falling does not get easier the older you get. So, and maybe that's kind of analogous to like taking risks in life, right? They're a little bit easier when you're younger. So mm-hmm. the body bends, <laughs> the body bends a little more when you're younger. So if you want to get out there and start skiing and do a few crashes, it's going to be easier on you this year than it is in, in three years. Discover or recommit to your values and let them guide your decisions. Remember that expanding your network is just as important as doing the actual work. Constantly putting out work can be exhausting. Rest makes us better. Set time aside for yourself every day. It doesn't matter how small that time is. Take it so that you can better advocate for you and those you serve. A big thank you to Susie for sharing her story and unbelievable insights with us today. You have been listening to Lawher with me, Sonia Palmer. If you found this content insightful, inspiring, or just made you smile, please share this episode with the trailblazers in your life. For more about Susie, check out our show notes. And while you're there, please leave us a review or a five-star rating. It really goes a long way for others to discover the show. And I will see you next week on Laher, where we'll shed light on how another of the brightest and boldest women in the legal industry climbed to the top of her field. Music.